Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's a big day in the land of what was formerly known as Hoopball. That's right, folks. As of today, this show is now a sports ethos presentation. You guys probably saw the news on social media, but if you're not on social media or you are and you've been inundated by uh, things that buried our news, Hoopball has evolved to Sports Ethos as the site looks to grow and expand into additional sports. And we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast, the fact that we do have a fantasy football show. Our sports betting division covers everything. Really, almost everything. And it's time. It's time. So, with great excitement, we at Hoopball announced that Sports Ethos is looking for folks to fill out the as-of-yet-fully-built NFL Fantasy and Baseball Fantasy Divisions. If you are interested in being part of our growth, of our change, of our emergence into other areas, please do not hesitate to contact me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is absolutely, positively the most important time for you to jump aboard that ship. And I mean this because Hoopball right now is looking for someone to run a football fantasy division on a website. You know we do these recruiting pitches on the podcast. Most of them are for entry level, learn how to blurb, learn how to cover fantasy sports. This is for the big dogs out there. Those of you that have been playing fantasy football for a long time and you want to turn it into a career, Come run a fantasy football division at Sports Ethos. Among so many other things, if you'd like to train underneath said person, all of that good stuff, hit me up at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Welcome to our new universe. I'm definitely going to screw this up at least 15 times over the next week, referring to the site still as Hoopball, but we are no longer Hoopball. We are Sports Ethos. We were not purchased by another company. We have uh, come out of our cocoon And it's not just hoops anymore with balls. It's uh, hoops and uh, crossbars and end zones and raw hides and mitts and bats and so forth. We uh, and pucks and pucks, puck balls. (laughs) That was the other option, I suppose. Could have gone to a combination of hoop ball, puck ball, uh, end zone ball. And mittball? I don't know. I guess baseball would have been bat ball or stick ball or mittball. <laughs> this is very good. So we're sports ethos instead because that's cool and it's all things. That's our promo. Got it right out of the way at the beginning, but it's a big one, ladies and germs. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Day, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. It's Big Friday, which means we've got a whole week to review. Ads, drops, holds, streamers. Get you ready for the weekend coming up by knowing where you stand with the most important players in fantasy, which I know is sort of a weird way to describe it. But when I say important, I mean the guys that are hanging around uh, near the edges, the guys that complement your team, not the superstars. They get covered. They get talked about ad nauseum. That's not what we're here for. 
So let's dive right on in with the very few guys that I think probably fell into the drop category this week. And again, this is everything that's happened Monday through Thursday. So there will be a couple pieces of what you might call delayed news in this, but I'll try to offer explanations on all of it. It's just that we have something like 25, 26 topics I want to cover in the next 35, 40 minutes, so we're going to have to move at a pretty good clip. Drops with Jakob Pertl returning for the San Antonio Spurs yesterday. He came off the bench working his conditioning back into shape. Seems he did have a pretty goodly case of COVID. Drew Eubanks and Thaddeus Young are officially droppable commodities. Now the stream has ended. Evan Fournier is a drop. Mentioned that on a previous episode this week. I do believe Kemba Walker is right on his heels. Truly, I I wouldn't fault you if you dropped Kemba today. I think we could probably buy one or two more games just because there is a certain name power there. We saw how effective he was when he got hot that second week and into the third week of the season, but we've also seen how terrible the Knicks starters have looked in recent ball games and how they're not at all guaranteed playing time. Kemba just, you know, not getting the minutes. Fournier not getting the minutes. The starters that get them have been Randall, Barrett, and generally Mitchell Robinson, although he's been dinged up a tiny bit this week, but in that last ball game he played pretty good minutes again. So I I put these guys in the drop department, not because you have to immediately just go out and kick them to the curb. I think you could probably do that with Fournier and you'd never really look back. You want to wait for someone worthwhile on the other end of it in terms of pickups. And there are a couple of guys that might qualify this week. And I'll try to do a little comparative analysis at some point, because we'll move from drops to ads here in a second. The other drops as Sixers, it seems like the Sixers are about to get healthy. Matisse Thibel's very close. Joel Embiid is probably within a game or two of coming back as well. Thibel's return basically puts the, the final nail in the coffin for uh, George Niang, Furkan Korkmaz, Shake Milton, those uh, guard wingy guys that have been borderline streamable and not even really totally that. And then, of course, Joel Embiid coming back will punt Andre Drummond back into handcuff territory. And the last drop note here is something that I've been kind of beating the drum on this week, and honestly the whole season to this point, which is that the Rockets are just so bad this year. From a fantasy perspective and from a reality perspective, they are sitting on almost nobody inside the top 150 right now. In fact, I don't believe they have a single player or single regular at least. Yeah, Eric Gordon's at 177. I thought maybe with his decent ball game, he might have squeezed back up in there. Christian Woods in the 180s. Daniel Tice, Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate. Chris, uh, sorry, Christian Wood, we already did. Uh, there's just, there's nobody. I think Tate might be getting this wrong, but I believe Jay Sean Tate at 160 is the highest ranked member of the Houston Rockets right now. It's not that they don't have any fantasy assets. They have no fantasy assets, and no one's even remotely close. I mean, there's a universe where Kenyon Martin Jr. ends up as the guy with the best angle just because he does the fewest things that disrupt your fantasy team. Jalen Green had a decent ballgame his last time around, but he's not inside the top 200. 
Daniel Tice has had a couple of serviceable games. He's won 90. I mean, it's been really rough. It's been awfully rough on the Houston Rockets. I know that there's there's a school of thought, and I subscribe to it at times, that, that says you don't drop someone with name power. And there's a, there's a validity to that, because sometimes you can include them in a trade offer with a team that might be thinking, well, maybe I can squeeze something out of this guy. Or maybe this guy's about to make the turnaround. Like a Christian Wood, who's again ranked in the 180s right now, one of the worst highly rostered fantasy players who is not clearly hurt. If you throw the injury card off the table, this has just been an unmitigated disaster now, 15 games into the season. He's a guy you can't really drop. I don't see how you could possibly start him. His percentages, his free throw percentage in general, is full tank mode, and the only category where he's markedly above average is rebounding at 11. Scoring and blocks, he's basically league average in those. Turnovers, he's league average. And everything else, he's anywhere from slightly below to way below. Yikes. Rough go. But you can't drop that. Kevin Porter Jr., I think you can drop at this point. I, there, You know, there was a hope that... And I hate to talk about Kevin Porter Jr. because... I yelled at you guys so much during the preseason not to draft him, but I do know that some of you guys were bitten by the bug of temptation, and you did it anyway, and you're, you were hoping a couple good ball games in a row might pull him to a point where you could trade him away, and that's still a possibility if you just want to squad on him, but he is, you know, like everybody on the Rockets, doing more damage than good to your roster, and then with Tate, who you might argue has maybe the easiest path to getting out of this rut... If he could get his steals numbers going, that stuff, that one being upper in the high ones last year was kind of the difference between last year and this year. He's the guy, believe it or not, that I think has the potential to squeeze up towards the top 100. I mean, Wood could get there if suddenly he makes free throws again. KPJ, I don't think his efficiency is getting any better. Jalen Green, he doesn't really do anything besides scoring. I don't, like, there really aren't many pathways for these guys to get there. So if you want... Just drop most of them. Anybody that doesn't have trade value on that team, just drop them. Don't even think about it. Don't look back. Alperin Sengun, he's not inside the top 200. How many fantasy analysts were begging you to just keep him and play him and that he's the next... His fantasy game is good. There's no question about that. He has, a, he has the ability to do a bunch of things at the same time. He can pass, he can rebound get some steals, get some blocks, but his percentages are rough, rough, and he's not playing enough. He played five minutes in their last ball game because he's extremely young and he's just getting bludgeoned by the NBA when he goes against anyone that's not, you know, the third stringer on the other side. I mean, this team has nothing. They are so bad. Sorry, Rockets. I don't, I mean, this. Oh, it's tough go right now. Should have been there. Should have been another way. Anyway, we'll segue over to the ads department because it's important, I think, to know who's on the upswing. Guys from earlier in the week: Dylan Brooks and Taylor Horton Tucker. They're probably on basically every roster at this point. Lou Dort was probably someone who got picked up earlier in the week. As far as late week news, I think there's uh, 
the I have Evita Zubots in this category on my chart, although it's possible you could move him down to the streaming department because it sounds like Serge Ibaka is getting close to coming back, at which point, even if he only takes 16, 17 minutes, a few of those are coming from Zoo, and then he falls from his top 65, top 75 range. You know, If he loses six, seven minutes per ballgame or whatever, it ends up being in that timeshare or... I mean, Zoo probably gets more, I would think. But if Ibaka actually gets healthy, then there becomes sort of an endpoint to this for Zubots. But there's also this sort of streamer with benefits possibility where Ibaka is never healthy again in his career. And this type of thing can semi-rumble along. The names that we haven't talked about a ton on the podcast, number one is Larry Nance, who we, I mean, we talked about Larry a lot. I should clarify that. But just recently, we did a segment on him after he got his name chanted, that was on yesterday's show. He's a guy that I think you got to put on your roster right now. Make sure he's not floating around. If indeed this is the time when Chauncey Billups is finally realizing he's a worthwhile player who should be doing more than they were letting him do. He he cleared 20 minutes one time the first about three weeks of the season, and he's cleared 20 minutes in five games in a row now. 27, 20, 20, 23, and 25. And over that stretch, he's been pretty solid. He hasn't fully settled in yet. Top 120 over the last week. But some of that's because rebounds are a little bit down. Uh, Steals are a little bit down. But in mid-20s and minutes, he's very much inside the top 100. So get Larry Nance on your roster in case this is that pivot point. And the other one is Precious Achua. Because OG Ananobi is dealing with a hip pointer, he's expected to miss a decent amount of time, and Achua's hurt right now, so that meant Kem Birch got the start in yesterday's Raptors ball game, Thursday's uh, Raptors game, but when Achua gets back, it's going to be his motor. Now, the problem with Precious is that he has no offensive game, none, zip, squat, zilch, zero. The hope that we have for Precious and why I think you could probably pick him up and just kind of see, I don't even know if I'd start him immediately, and he's kind of the get-out-in-front-of-it pickup here because he's basically a free agent everywhere at this point. I don't see how he doesn't play close to 30 minutes a ballgame, and in that amount of time, rebounds and defensive stats will just sort of fall into his lap. And that is useful. Could he possibly shoot 36% for an entire season? I cannot believe that that's something that could hold. He only took three and a half shots a game with Miami last year. He shot 54% on those. He's taking nine shots per game with Toronto this year, and he couldn't make one to save his life. 35%. That number seriously has to come back. I can't believe that that would hold. But I'll tell you, though, if he starts to play 27, 28 minutes a ball game, he's a guy that's going to average a, like a solid 10 rebounds. He's a guy that could squeeze towards double-double, to squeeze towards, you know, 0.8 steals and 1.1, 1.2 blocks, things of that nature. But we really, really do need that field goal percent number to come back. And I just... I don't know that it will because we don't really know much about Achua. His NBA career is extraordinarily short to this point, just the second season, but he's a big man. He's a center. You can't be a center and shoot 34%. Just a handful of dunks 
is all it would take to fix that. So I think we might be able to get out in front of this one. Problem is that it's not, you know, we don't have forever for him to figure it out. Because at some point, OG will come back. It just sounds like the report on Ananobi was that he was going to be out a little while. Whatever that means, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, we don't know. If Achua can get it going, get healthy and get going during that stretch, he could be interesting. If the field goal percent doesn't come around, then this all is worthless information anyway. Ah, well. All right, these are the tougher ones, I think. The holds and the streams, meaning the guys that have either been trending ever so slightly down or we've been kind of watching them for different things. But it's going to take a, a little bit of patience to throw them into the hold bucket, and I think you guys will come there with me. Let's put the easy holds in there first. The easiest hold of guys that I've heard should I do X with is Nick Batum. Because he had a couple of quieter ball games. Yes, they were slightly quieter ball games where he wasn't really looking to score at all. Not that that's his thing. Looking to score isn't really his thing. And the Clippers won a couple of those ball games. But, you know, he went for six points, only took four shots in 37 minutes. That was their win over Miami, the shorthanded heat. But he floated his stuff with six boards, three assists, two steals, three blocks. Next ball game, he didn't really want to shoot or play much. Clippers beat up on Minnesota. He had five, three, and one with a steal and a block. Then he played 35 minutes against Chicago in a loss at five, seven, and two with a steal and a block and a three-pointer. And, you know, the, the field goal percent stuck. But then, after just playing 14 minutes against San Antonio, he came out of the ball game. He just wasn't really right. And we found out he was dealing with a sore Achilles that forced him out of the first half of their back-to-back Thursday, Friday. We'll find out. He's questionable, by the way, for their ballgame tonight, so we don't know if he's playing or not. I'm going to assume he's not, but I'm hoping that the fact that he did miss their game on Thursday actually allays the fear of many of you folks. It's a really interesting fantasy phenomenon for when it's a guy that people don't expect to be having a good year. Everyone is just looking for that one good reason to drop him. No one expected Nick Batum to be this good. Although, I'll remind you guys, we did mention multiple times in the offseason that when they brought him back, it looked like he had a pretty good role there without Kawhi Leonard, but he wasn't healthy. And now he's not healthy again. That's all you need to know. When he was healthy, he was putting up top 40 numbers this year. No, I don't think he sticks at top 40. That is the absolute best case scenario. He was shooting the lights out from the field. So it was, you know, three three pointers a game for that stretch, steals, blocks, boards, he was passing, everything was going right. That's not going to hold forever. But if he's healthy and they're going to give him mid 30s in minutes when he's right, you know, that's a guy that'll get you 9, 10, 11 points, five or six boards, three assists, a steal, a block, couple three pointers, good percentages. I know his free throw percent is bad so far this year, but he hasn't really taken any, so I guess you can sort of forgive that one. But don't drop him. Like, everybody's just looking for a reason to move on from somebody. He had a bad ball game, and then we found out why. He was hurt. I know that it's hard. for uh, this. The, there is a mental thing to get over here. But think about someone like C.J. McCollum, who's also been in the 40s so far this year. He had a bad ball game, and nobody thought twice about it. And he's not hurt. 
What about other guys in that range? What if they had a bad ball game? Would we really even think twice about it? Demonis Sabonis, Vooch, DeAndre Ayton is at 55, Luka's at 58. Batum was beating these guys in 9-cat on a per-game basis, and then he's been playing hurt. It's the best news we could have ever possibly gotten from a, hey, why has he slowed down? Is it just a hot run coming to an end? No, it's not. It's he's hurt. They dialed him back. So don't panic on that. That's an easy hold to me. A tougher hold is his teammate Eric Bledsoe, who's been running very hot and cold so far this year, but it does seem like they want to give him the bulk of the minutes at, I guess that's shooting guard. Presumably that's shooting guard. And in general, he's been pretty good in that spot. He's bounced around. His value's bounced around. He's back outside the top 100. But, you know, 10.5 points, a three ball, four and four, almost two steals, 0.7 blocks. The field goal percent's been very bad, but he's not alone in that regard. Uh, And he's really like two to three field goal percentage points away from locking himself into that 95 range, which is a useful fantasy player. And so he's also on the hold list for now. De'Anthony Melton is a tougher hold because it does look like the return of Dylan Brooks has obliterated his fantasy value. He's been not a usable fantasy player in the, the uh, three and change games now that Brooks has been back and in the starting lineup. There were a couple of blowouts mixed in there, which confused the numbers at first. Um, and we haven't seen a super competitive Grizzlies game in the Dylan Brooks era. And frankly, we haven't seen DeAnthony Melton play well since Brooks came back because he's been taken out of his comfort zone. His comfort, he had a certain comfort playing 25, 27, 29 minutes of ballgame. That's gone now. He's trending back down into the 17, 19, 17, 23 range, which puts him around 20. And that's been close historically for him. He's been close to the top 120 minutes. But he does need a little bit more than that. 23, which he got in their last game, that would actually be enough. But I'm starting to see him get dropped in places, meaning people have already begun to lose patience. He's, his uh, roster ship is down almost 20% in the last two days. He's really like one bad game away from being dropped everywhere. And I think we got to hold on a little bit longer. If this does stick and he's totally lost his job, then by all means. But the upside is too high to punt so quickly. And he's still playing. You know, if it's it's 17 minutes out there, it's not going to be a good fantasy line. But generally, it'll be competitive. You know, it'll be six. It'll be six to eight points. It'll be... Four rebounds, it'll be two assists, it'll be almost two steals. He does that in limited minutes. He'll get you a block here and there. There's a lot of stuff we have to remember that has been really extraordinary with Melton so far this year. Although, yeah, again, his last three or four games, he's fallen off a cliff from top 75. He's now outside the top 110. we got to give him a little bit longer. His teammate's an easier hold to give now. Desmond Bain has had his role more secured into the starting lineup, although you know, he's not all that far away from Melton in overall value. Bain at 114, Melton like six slots away. So, you know, they might both end up getting dumped 
because Bain doesn't get the defensive stats to float his numbers the way that Melton does. I think depending on where you're looking at rankings, Melton might still be inside the top 100. It really does kind of depend on what website you're reading. I've seen Melton at Basketball Monster. He's at 93. On Yahoo, he's at 110. It's pretty weird. What's the difference with Desmond Bain? Bain's actually around 115 in both of them. That's interesting. So right now, Melton's actually still ahead by a little bit. Uh, but Bain, I, you know, with the starting job, that's an easier one to say you could probably hold there. And I think he probably slides into the streamer discussion. And I'm okay if you want to move him there right now, if you want. Devin Vassell, who's still going to get yanked around a little bit because, you know, young player. He's at 86 overall. You can hold there. He had a better ball game after a clunker. So hopefully that solved that problem. Tyrese Maxey is a hold. He's been coasting with that whole team on the shelf. And I think you got to give him a little opportunity to stick when guys come back. He'll obviously watch his role diminish. He might also slide back into the streamer zone. But you certainly can't move on before you're forced to there. And even then, you know, in a head-to-head league, if he's got a four-game week, he's probably at that point still worthwhile. TJ McConnell, who's had a mixed bag of a year, but he's seeing playing time now, more consistent playing time. He's sitting in that 130 range, mostly, again, because his steals are cut in half this year. That just hasn't been there yet. The assists are down. The steals are down. Those are the things that floated his value. He was at a steals assist specialist, and if you're not getting either of them, I mean, the assists are fine, but they're not great then that's going to make it a little tougher. I think the assists do stay down. I think the steals probably work their way back up. And if he can continue to get 25, 26 minutes of ball game, he's a guy you definitely have to continue to hold on to. Carmelo Anthony, we can hold on to him for now. There's a chance that his insane run is finally coming to a close. He's slipped now out of the top 70 after riding in the 40s for a while. Some quiet ball games. Shots have diminished. I do wonder if LeBron coming back pushes Melo to the bench where he seemed like he was more comfortable just coming in and firing away. But we'll see. You know, some of it coincides with Taylor Horton Tucker coming back. Him taking a bunch of shots away that were previously, some of which were previously going to Melo. And these ones I think are easier. Uh, Grayson Allen, who's still number 53. I know he slowed down a little bit. Uh, Bucks getting healthy, and that could end up taking him out of consideration. But he's been making almost four three-pointers a game. You can't you can't throw that away. That's a I know threes are easy to come by this year, but that is an elite number. That's a take care of a couple players on your team three-pointer type number. And Rob Covington, who's seeing his minutes trending down, and that does concern me. I'd be lying if I said that didn't concern me, but he is number 105 right now. Somehow, despite all of this, he's a startable fantasy asset. Uh, I don't like that his minutes have been in that 23-24 range. It seems like he's losing time to Larry Nance, one of our favorites. It also seems like maybe other players on the Blazers should lose some time to Larry Nance. But we'll see how that thing shakes itself out. His usage, Covington's, has been a little bit better after basically doing nothing the first two weeks, three weeks even, of the year. He's starting to do something, and something with him Gets him pretty close. Remember, we only had him at about top 85 on a per-game basis this year. He's really like one big game away from being there. So he's a hold as well. 
And some names that are getting cost, tossed around that I think you can probably put in your streamers bucket. Kevin Love and or Ed Davis out in Cleveland, while Lowry Markinen and Jared Allen are out. Seems like you might have a little window there over this coming weekend. Half of the Warriors tonight, Steph Curry, Draymond Green both sitting this thing out. Uh, that means Andrew Wiggins is finally basically a guaranteed start because he's been a guy that sat just outside fantasy values, number 112 so far this year. I haven't liked his lack of rebounding and defensive stats. That's the type of thing that you thought would stick, and they just, you know, whether I don't know if it's defensive positioning, the whole team has been better there or what, but he's been, he hasn't doing, he's not doing the stuff that he's done in the past. He's certainly been more efficient offensively, and that's kind of saved him because it was the other stuff covering up for crummy offensive efficiency in the past. But regardless, half of the Warriors are going to be good with no Steph and no Dre. Jordan Poole should have a good ball game. You might see Damian Lee have a better ball game. You might see Kevon Looney have a better ball game with Dre sitting this thing out. But probably too late for you to stream Looney, but maybe you could flip him in there. Uh, Kevin Herter is a streamer for me. I, I know that I'm the fantasy guy who's lower on Herter than others. I just don't trust him. I don't trust him to do the other stuff besides scoring as long as Trey Young is healthy. And frankly, I don't know that I would trust him to do it even if Trey was out. Dennis Schroeder's been something of a long streamer so far. He's number 90, but he's largely been able to hang in at 90 because Jalen Brown's been out basically the entire season at this point. Jalen had a couple of good ball games to start the year, missed, what, one or two games early, and now he's played about half of what everybody else in the NBA's done. He's only at eight. A lot of guys, 13, 14, 15, 16 games right now. When he comes back, I don't think Schroeder gets enough shots at that point. And Dennis needs buckets. His value has been pretty heavily tied up in points and like a little bit in assists and a little bit in free throw shooting. That's what's been able to elevate him. Steals have actually been better than usual. That's probably a number that comes down for Schroeder. Turnovers also come down, but, you know, it's the usage value thing where turnovers are getting better will not be enough to outweigh fewer shots, fewer free throws, fewer threes, fewer points, fewer assists, and frankly, probably fewer steals. So Truder might, I don't know if you're going to get anything for him, but he's someone you should explore trying to sell based on what, I don't know. Again, he's ranked in the 90s, but if there's someone ranked like around 105, 110 that you think might have the arrow pointed the other way, that's a time you could do it. Reggie Jackson, those two ships probably pass into the night at some point. You're not going to get somebody with name value. Maybe you could get Wiggins. You could probably get Derek White, possibly. You're not going to get Ricky Rubio. You're not going to get Jalen Brunson. You're not going to get Draymond Green. You might get Rob Covington. I doubt it. You could potentially get Boyan Bogdanovich, but I also think he's been about as good as he's going to get so far this year. So I don't know that that's one I would target anyway. Maybe you could get Josh Hart and just try to ride it until Zion comes back. But... I mean, the run for Schroeder here is probably drying up. Patty Mills and Bruce Brown. I like Mills just a little bit more than Brown, which I think might surprise you guys because generally I'm the one over here yelling, hey, who cares about points? Because, you know, they're easy to find. But when you got a guy who's filling in for Joe Harris and for Patty Mills, he's averaging three three-pointers a game so far this year. But when he's had those legit starters minutes when there's been someone out in front of him things have picked up in a big way three games since joe harris went down 
17 three-pointers for Patty Mills. And remember, he had a game right at the beginning of the season where he went 7-for-7 from downtown. He has three games this year of six three-pointers or more already. I mean, he's no Steph Curry, but give him the opportunity, he's going to hit a ton. And that's a that's a pretty valuable short-term stream in the way that Bruce Brown grabbing, you know, six rebounds out of a guard position and a steal and a half, as opposed to Mills, who might get you like 0.8 steals as a fill-in. To me, Patty just has that, the upside, because he'll do stuff on offense. And I know that, again, this goes against the very grain of what we do on this show. But when you're looking for the quick hitters like that, the more trustworthy one is the guy who's pulling the trigger. Firing from downtown. And then here's one that I wanted to get a little bit more information before we dove into it, but I think you got to put Jeremiah Robinson Earl on your watch list. Uh, he's starting to get nearer to starters minutes, mid-20s, and Derek Favors did play in OKC's last ball game, which uh, was, I believe, two days ago. Was that on Wednesday? Yeah, that was on Wednesday. They beat Houston 101-89. So Favors played in that ball game. Uh, but Derek only played 17 and a half minutes. Robinson Earl played 25. Not that he's going to go straight from 25 to 42, but you get him up around 30. It does seem like he has the rebounding prowess to make a little bit of a dent. His eligibility on Yahoo is all kinds of biffed right now. They don't have him listed as a center yet, but that's probably coming. And then because the Thunder are going to play kind of a, a helter-skelter goofball type of basketball this year, which, you know... So oftentimes resulting in a defeat. He should be able to find some steals, some blocks, just the sort of garbage, put stuff into the bucket type of plays. I don't think you need to add him yet. He had a decent enough ball game his last time out, eight and nine with two steals and a block in 25 minutes. That's that's not a, it's not a sustainable fantasy line, by the way. He's not going to average three defensive stats per game. And if he did, it probably wouldn't be, be on, wouldn't be on two steals in one block. Either way, I don't think that's sticking. The rebounds might, maybe the offense improves a little bit as the year goes on. Again, I don't think it's somebody that you have to race out and immediately put on your roster, but I do think you need to keep an eye on it. There's a possibility he could be one of those, oh, hey, this guy came out of nowhere type of dudes, because they don't want to play Mike Muscala big minutes. Derek Favors is on the block permanently, and then Robinson Earl is the other guy at center because they don't, you know, I... Isaiah Roby is still floating around out there, but I don't know how truly excited they are about him. He's not really playing, and he's not markedly injured from what we know. It seems like they just kind of want to give Robinson Earl an opportunity here to see what happens. So that's only one you do if you have basically just an open roster spot. I don't think you need to get out in front of a, a mad rush that's happening for him right now. I just I do think that there's something to a what you might call a near-term possibility. I I feel the need I don't want to go through the whole weekend of games. Um I, I want to try to leave a lot of that for social media. I want that that's something I've tried to work on this this season. I want this show to kind of segue into what we do on what I do on social media, I want these things to work in conjunction in a certain way. But I do feel the need, um, after talking about a guy like like Robinson Earl, 
to try to illuminate where I feel the difference is there. Because one of the things that I'm guessing you guys are thinking right now, and it's a very reasonable thought, um, because it occurred in my own head, even as I was saying it, why am I okay with keeping an eye on someone like Robinson Earl, who very much could turn out to be nothing at all if the Thunder just want to rotate through power forwards and centers and see what sticks, you know, a handful of darts out there on a team that's trying to collect the highest draft picks possible. Why do I tip? Why do, why do I come down so hard on stashing someone like Jalen Suggs or uh, Kevin Porter Jr. or Alperin Sengun might even be the best example to use in this type of thing. Because to, to talk about um, Suggs, or KPJ or something like that. These are guys that are actually playing right now and not able to create fantasy value with their playing time because of efficiency issues. That's actually a bad comparison because we can see what those guys are able to do. The one that is a better comparison is a guy like Shingun, who I think uh, is actually a very complicated fantasy decision to make from a, what is this guy doing for me right in this moment? He's a drop. He's a clear drop. He's not inside the top 200. He's hurting your fantasy team more than he's helping. But people are willing to make what's effectively a down payment, a guy like Shengun, and just sit on him. Sometimes you might not even start him because he's hurting you more than he's helping. Even in a head-to-head league, if he goes out there and goes three for five at the free throw line and three for nine from the field, you know, nine points, five boards, and a steal actually doesn't outweigh that. He has hurt your chances to win your week of fantasy sports more than he helped them from that ball game. By the way, we just got news while recording this show that Dylan Brooks is doubtful, but DeAnthony Melton is out. So he's not even there to capitalize on an opportunity. That's a pisser. But again, why would I say, hey, keep an eye on Robinson Earl and at the same time kind of clown on the idea of sitting on Shengun? until he produces. And I think for me, it's an expectation of timeline. I think with Robinson Earl, if you wanted to pick him up, we probably are going to have a pretty good idea of what OKC wants to do with him uh, within the next one to two weeks. So I would only in that instance, and I still don't know that this is necessarily required. I think you can leave him on the wire, really. But if you were to pick him up, I think within the next 10 to 14 days... We would know, is this a guy we need to bother sitting on on our fantasy team? With Shengun, you know sitting on him is eventually going to pay off in some way, but what you don't know is when, and what we probably know is that it's not going to be November, it's probably not going to be December, it might be, but probably not. By January, February, you're starting to think, all right, mom, yeah, maybe now we're getting close to something going on there with him. So that, I think, is why I've, I've created this, this uh, cutting point in my brain and why I'm willing to sit on someone who's equally unknown, equally unproven, with some fantasy upside, but maybe not even as much, in Robinson Earl, over someone like Shengun, and it's because of timeline. It's because I think we're going to have an answer on Robinson Earl within the next two weeks, and we're not going to know how long it'll be on Shengun productivity for longer than that. 
Hopefully that made sense. It made sense in my head, which that's where things usually are before I barf them out onto this podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. Come follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Uh, we'll continue our discussion here, what to watch for over the weekend. Things we'll be kind of hunting on. We'll keep the tweet storms rolling. And of course, hit me up if you want to be a part of the brand new sports ethos as we branch into all avenues of fantasy sports. Big day for us over here. Thank you all for coming along for the ride. This is just the beginning. Have a wonderful Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Reverse chronological lightning round coming up on the other side of that. I think I already told you I'm Dan Bespris. You can spell it. You can find me on the socials. We'll talk to you in a few days. So long, everybody. 